Good morning, Liberty. Just want to pray. Just close our eyes and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, that your word is your word. It is unchanging and it never fails. That as we read it, Lord God, we can depend upon it because your word is your word. And so we want to take that this morning, Lord God, and receive it with that heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning, I'm going to be going again into the book of Revelation. And yeah, I mean, this passage of Scripture that I'm going to be doing this morning is not an easy passage of Scripture to actually try and, well, try and interpret. But we're going to do the best that we can. We just have to remember that through the book of Revelation, there is a deliberate symbolism that needs to be considered through the book. In other words, uh, as I've shared with you, Jesus appears when he first appears to, to John. He appears as a man with white hair and bronze legs and a golden sash around his chest. But later on, as we will see, he also appears in the throne room as a, as a lamb, as if it was slain from the foundation of the, of the earth. So through the book of Revelation, there is this aspect of deliberate symbolism. In other words, what you see is a communication of a picture. And that's what God wants to do. So we must remember that when we're looking, and especially now as we look through this specific pas passage of Scripture. And it's difficult to be too definitive regarding the meaning, but one needs to meditate on these scriptures and God will speak to you. That's why it's so important, as the Bible says in the book of Revelation, it says, Blessed are those who read this book and take it to heart. And if you read the book of Revelation without sort of saying, well, that's a scary book, I don't understand what's going on, and you take it to heart, God will give you insight if you want it that way. So what is definitive is that God's throne room is where everything, the whole creative order, emanates from. And we need to keep that in mind. So what we see, feel, touch, and go about our business that we see here is not the engine room, if you could call it, if it's an engine room. The throne room of God, the spiritual aspect is where everything emanates from. Every single thing emanates from that position. So we must remember that. And now we're speaking about the throne room of God. We came into the throne room of God beforehand, and we had a picture of who God was, and we saw this wonderful image of Him, but really indescribable, because God is, the Father is indescribable, but just emulating this light, and then we saw the elders around the throne. So start to give us a picture of the throne room. And we know that if you've ever been to any place where there's a dignitary that has a throne room, I don't know if you've visited any of the castles, or, or if you went to England, you'd be able to visit some of those castles. Usually they have a great room where you have where people of importance go. There's like a sense of um, protocol when it comes to the room. And the same thing is with the throne of God. And I was just thinking about this when I was looking for a picture of a throne room and thinking to myself, every th single throne room that you see, if you go anywhere and you see a throne room, if you, go, if you see a picture of it, the next time you even think about... Uh, the prince coming out from England and you want to go and see him and you think about the queen of England, you might think about everything that surrounds him. Actually, that is supposed to be a picture of heaven. The authority, the dignitaries are not really the ones that are on earth, but the picture of what we have in heaven. And so that is what we need to keep in mind is that when we're entering into the throne, then this is where everything emanates from. So what we're doing today Everything that we're doing today emanates from the throne room of God. That is the reason why we're here today. Is because there is a spiritual realm. We have a God, a Father, and there's a throne room from where everything comes. So I'm going to go through that. So the first thing that we see, it says there, and I'm reading from verse 
4 verse 5. So we're going on to the next section. And it says, Before the throne room were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And here we see them. And, and, it's, and it's kind of difficult to actually understand what this is, but this is believed by most. When it speaks about the seven spirits of God, they're actually speaking about the sevenfold spirit of God and is represented by the Holy Spirit. And that's what most commentators would actually uh, say that, that this is. And that's what I believe it to be. I believe it to be the Holy Spirit, that it's actually represented in seven specific works. And those works over here come from Isaiah 11 verse 2, which says this, Speaking about Jesus and prophesying about Jesus and prophesying about the Holy Spirit that was going to come on Jesus. It says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So now I'm going to just give a little bit of indication as why I believe this is representative of the Holy Spirit. Again, we cannot be dogmatic about this. A lot of people would say that these could possibly be angels. Um, so you, you know, I can't say, well, this is absolutely, we will know. I believe it is the Holy Spirit, the sevenfold Spirit of God. And we, we spoke about this, the seven being a symbol. We know that when Jesus spoke to the seven churches, that there weren't only seven churches in the book of Revelation. But seven is a very significant number, which we'll get to just now. Um, but here it speaks about the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord, the first one which says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, I believe is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the works of, that we've been even speaking about, and Princess actually brought it up, is that there is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So in essence, the presence of the Holy Spirit is one of the works of God, that His presence will be among us. And just saying this, I believe revival is coming. And that the presence of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit needs to be manifest. It's not just about attending church and worshiping the Lord. It's actually about the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And then it says in Acts 6.10, it speaks about the spirit of wisdom. In Acts 16, there's a man began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the Spirit, capital S, by whom he spoke. Okay, so I'm just giving you the reason why I believe this is to do with the Holy Spirit and the seven works of the Holy Spirit. All right, a spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel. And we know that Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. All right, but I will send you the counselor, speaking of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is the counselor, the Spirit, he will teach you all things. And then the Spirit of power, power will come on you when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So I'm just giving you some scriptures that would seem to back up my argument or why I would make that deduction. All right. And the spirit of knowledge, Exodus 35, 31 says, and he, and he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill and ability and knowledge of all kinds of crafts. So when God is going to do a work on a person, he filled him with the Holy Spirit and with knowledge. And then the seventh one is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And 2 Chronicles 17.10 says, The fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands surrounding Jesus so that they didn't make war with Jehoshaphat. So there is an aspect. I would say that the, there are seven works of the Holy Spirit in the life of those on this earth. And I'm not going to go into great detail, but all that one can say is that the Spirit of the Lord... So if we took all seven of those, and we, I could actually preach a sermon on each single one of those, all right? But one must take them and say, well, is that important for us? I would say, yeah, that is important. What aspect of the Holy Spirit do you think you need to activate more in your life? That's how I would look at it if I was looking at it. Am I... In the presence of the Holy Spirit, do I recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit? 
Am I walking being led by the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? Because that's one of the works of the Holy Spirit. And I think that in all these areas of the Holy Spirit's work, we could submit to Him in one of those areas. If there's a lack, if there's a lack in any of that, wisdom. God will give you wisdom if you ask. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom if you ask. So all of these are, are things, of, are works that the Holy Spirit performs, I believe, among us. And I believe that that is what this is saying. Now, as I said, all right, so the Spirit of the Lord. So again, this whole aspect of seven is important. We see where it speaks about in, in Luke 12, 56, Jesus rebukes these guys and he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you do not know how to interpret this present time? So if you actually read, and I think it's in the prophecy of Daniel, Daniel actually predicted the exact time in number of years from the issuing of a certain decree till the time that Jesus would come. The exact time. So if you count the amount of years, it, 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 it was to the, to the year that actually was prophesied when Jesus would come. And that's what he was speaking about over here. He was saying that you don't know how to interpret these times. So, but what, I, what is fascinating for me in, in this, all this, and we'll see this throughout the book of Revelation, is this, this sort of these sevens. There's sevens. There's threes. There's, and, and these are significant, I believe. I, I mean, I, I'm not a, one of those mathematicians that looks into the, uh, the role of numbers in what is created. But I think if you spoke to some, they may well. This, this would highly interest them. And why it would highly interest them is there's pattern. And with God, there is always pattern. I mean, we know that seven is the aspect of his works. How do we know that? Because he created the world in seven days, didn't he? On the seventh day, he rested. Six days he worked, seventh day he rested. Seven, very significant. There's seven days in a week. Is that significant? We take it for granted. But actually, there is a symmetry to what God does. And I think it is important to do that, all right? God has given certain mathematical order to things. And chaos and things not working ensue when God's order is altered or we don't follow it. And we will see this later as we walk through the book of Revelation. We see that especially, and you've probably, if you've listened to any prophecy in terms of revelation, the whole issue of six, six, six will come up, doesn't it? And then basically it says this is man's number. And, and, and what is that actually saying? Well, we'll get there, but perhaps one of the things that is saying is that when we don't follow God's order of things, chaos ensues. Okay, so I think it is significant, and, and this gives us some kind of insight as to actually how we should be living our lives with certain things that we should always be doing in symmetry and in order. And when we do it, life ensues. So that's just something that I, I just felt to bring out here. I was, I was chatting to Sam. And uh, I, I went and visited him the other day and I saw his tomatoes that were planting. I was thinking, oh, well, maybe next season I can plant some tomatoes. I said, when do you plant these tomatoes? I said, well, he plants, the, plants them in May is when you plant them. And I'm thinking, May, that's like late. You know, I want to get tomatoes earlier than that. Is it possible to plant them in April? He just says, no, you can't plant them in April. You have to plant them in May. You see, there's a certain symmetry in everything that happens. There, there are 12 months to the year. There are seasons. There is spring. There is summer. There is autumn and there's winter. There is a pattern to the way that God does things. In fact, that pattern is so finely tuned. 
again, I, while I grew up on a farm, I didn't really get involved in actual farming. I just enjoyed the benefit of living on a farm and enjoyed the benefit of eating the fruit of the farm. I never really got involved in it. But uh, my brother-in-law actually teaches something called farming God's way. And basically, it's a way of farming that helps people not just be subsistence farmers, but actually produce so that there is an abundant crop, all right? Because God works in abundance. He says one of the most difficult things is actually teaching people that there is an exact few days when you should plant seeds. Not few weeks, few days. That if you plant them at this specific time, it will produce for you the maximum crop. There is an absolute season for doing certain things. And in our day, to be godly, I believe, means to be following pattern and finding the patterns of God and working accordingly. And when we don't, all right, when we don't do that, then we can't expect the results that we're expecting. So I, I think it's, that's, I'm just teaching you how to actually observe these things and what their significance is. Now, seven again is significant when it comes to the works of God. So when we look at the number seven, we can say, okay, well, that is to do with the, to do with the works of God. And specifically, we saw just now that the work of the Holy Spirit, that there's seven works of the Holy Spirit, it would seem. I know he does more than that, but obviously seven significant things that God wants to do. Does that make sense so far? Easy. All right, so we're going through this book of Revelation. It's not all that we have to really dig in order to get something out of it, don't we? All right, and then also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And you look at that and you say, well, Kirk, that's just fantastic. There's just a nice picture of what it looks like in heaven. And let's just move on. But if we understand that there is, a, that there is something that God wants to communicate with us from what we see, then we might just stop a little bit and say, let me understand what is actually happening over here. So what is the sea of glass as clear as crystal? What does it represent? What is it saying? Well, the first thing a sea of glass represents is its purity. Speaking of the coming kingdom, Revelation 21, 27 says, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does not does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live holy lives. So the representation, firstly, for me, of the sea of glass is purity. And that God calls us to purity. And that that's when we enter into it. Now we know that it's not the purity of our own purity that's going to get us there because no man is righteous. Everyone has fallen us. If it wasn't for Christ, we wouldn't, be, we wouldn't be able to be in the throne room of the Father. Do you know that? But because of Christ, Christ has made us who are impure, pure, and we are able to actually enter into His presence. So purity is the first thing I believe that that lake uh, represents. The second one is transparency. Ecclesiastes 12:14 For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So that clearest crystal, there's a transparency and there's a reflection. And I believe that basically it's like looking into a mirror. If you were in the throne room of God, Nothing is hidden. The secrets of our heart, the secret motives of our heart, are all laid bare. And that's what that sea does. Everything reflects what actually is inside. All right? 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, he says, He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. 
Okay, so when we're looking at this clear crystal, that's what we need to think about when we say a sea of glass, clear as crystal. What is it about? Well, I believe it's based on purity, and I also believe it's transparency. That's my interpretation of that. All right, you might have a different interpretation, but I would say that that is what that uh, that interprets is that there is a reflection. Whatever is in your soul that people can't see, the motives of your heart will be laid bare. That's why the Bible says a man should judge himself and they will not fall under judgment. Okay, So we need to be able to look at ourselves within. I found the best way to grow in the area of purity and the knowledge of what, what may be hidden in my motives inside are to have the Word of God reflect back to me what's in my soul and see the reality of that change in my relationships in the church. That's... Just the quick of it. The, the Bible is like a mirror. James speaks about that. He who gazes into Some people gaze into that mirror and then they see something and immediately go and forget what they've actually seen. But the Bible is there to actually uncover the motives. You know how often I'm doing something. I'm not talking about doing something that is typically necessarily sinful. There's many things that we do that we think are right, but are motivated by selfishness. Do you know that? Even in our relationships with one another, there can be these selfish motives as to why we're doing what we're doing. There's many good works that are dead works because people are doing them out of selfish motivation to see for people to see them as good. But, but the work that God is speaking about, the work that God, if we look into the mirror, God judges. And I have to say, I find it personally a fantastic thing when I'm reading the Word of God and then it reflects back to me the motive. And there's been often times when I'm reading through the Bible and then the Holy Spirit will point on something that I've been doing that I think is really, really good. And He will say, this is your motive for doing that. You see, nothing will be hidden before the Lord. If you went into that place and you see that reflection, that reflection is a reflection of what's in your soul. Not what's outside, but what's inside. And nothing impure can enter into that throne room. So that's what that, I would say that, that that lake that represents the sea of glass and as clear as crystal. That's my interpretation of it. And that's what I would say is important. Let's go on. And this is the hardest part of the scripture because when you look at it, you might think I'm I'm in a science fiction movie. It doesn't it doesn't it's beyond us. And around the throne and on each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes. Oh, what a powerful scripture that is. But what a... I mean, imagine looking at that. Imagine today. It's fortunate that John saw it 2,000 years ago and didn't see it today. Because most people who would see, if he saw it today, what they would say is, you've been watching too many movies. They would say that. Because it's like, like something out of a science fiction movie. Really. I mean, if you look at some of these movies, they, they're, they're getting close to trying to replicate what is spiritual. They're trying to replicate it in the physical. So we see these creatures. Now, what these represent, I would have my own personal opinion. I think that the lion would represent... All the creatures that have been created on the earth, you know, if you ever saw the Lion King, he's like the king of the jungle, you know. He oversees. So I, I would say that that represents all of God's created order on earth. I'd say that the bull, and this, I might be wrong, I'm just saying, represents all of the animals that actually serve mankind with their strength. The third is like a man. The men represent all of mankind. And then 
the eagle, everything that flies. We could put it like that. Otherwise, you could say, the lion represents authority. The ox represents strength. I don't know what the man represents. But the eagle represents, represents sight. But possibly, man would represent intelligence. I'm just saying. So, the, and, and many people have actually preached on these and said, well, that's the aspect. We can't say definitively it is. But actually, if you were to go into the book and to meditate and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me about that? Well, you might say that those things that are closest to God are related to something that we see in those seraphs. So that's how I would put it. But I'm not going to concentrate too much on that. What I want to concentrate, each of these living creatures, some call seraphs, represent an aspect of God's creation. And as I said, I don't want to try and discern that. I want to just speak about something else. And that is to do with the eyes. Imagine seeing a creature full of eyes. That sounds like more like a horror movie than, a, than anything. They're full of eyes. And I was thinking, I said, oh Lord, full of eyes. They're full of eyes. But this is the insight that I felt that the Lord gave me. And that's common to all of them. God has created them in this way, and remember it's spiritual, not material, so that their whole being will be full of the Father and the Father of light. Luke 11.34 says, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also full of darkness. I believe that the representation of those eyes is that they, are, that they are to assimilate as much of beholding the Father as is possible without actually just being an eye. So that their whole being is full of the Father of light. The observance of their Father fills their whole being with light and sets an expectation for us as believers to behold the Father of light so we too can be filled with light. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So this sets the important criteria for us if we want to be full of light, is that we behold the Father. And I was thinking about this, and I think that Prince might have mentioned this, is you become what you behold. Maybe somebody else, I'm not too sure who did, but there was somebody that said that. If you behold the Father, your whole being becomes full of light. If you continually behold the darkness, your whole being becomes filled with darkness. So in order for us to be transformed from glory to glory, we need to behold the Father. You know, church can become just a place where we meet and we do our thing. There is they, if the devil cannot stop people from going to church, he will stop the church from actually doing what it's called to do, and that is behold the Father. If we get the church to become a physical place, 
that we attend with physical relationships, and it's all about what we see in the physical. He will keep us from its purpose. And the church this day has become used to being sensitive. Sensitive to people that don't know God and then hiding the presence of God from them. But church is about beholding the Father together. And in that way we are filled with light. And then the light takes away the darkness. See, if I preach a certain gospel that focuses the attention on you trying to remove the darkness, you will behold the darkness. But if I focus you on beholding the Father of light, it will take out the darkness. Because light displaces darkness, doesn't it? You could close, shut off all the lights in here and just put on the cell phone light and it will immediately start to disperse the darkness. So in order for us to be filled with light, we have to behold the Father of light and we will change. And our natural response our natural response if we behold the Father. Day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. You see, when we behold the Father, we don't have to tell people to worship God. There is an automatic response. When the presence of God is real for somebody, the automatic response, not the you've got to do this response, the automatic response is to worship God. That's the response. See, people think we're supposed to get people to worship. No, we're supposed to just get people to behold God. You can't behold God and not fall down. Do you think all the people who don't want to worship, refuse to worship God right now, when God comes, what do they do? Because that is the natural response to beholding the Father of light, is to worship Him. So you want to increase in your worship, you've got to behold the Father. Unceasing worship and praise come from beholding God our Father. And this is not simply about having a corporate worship times, but worshiping God the Father all the time. It's unceasing. We're speaking about the revival that's coming. And in, in revival, what tends to happen is there tends to be a continual, continual worship of God on the part of the believers throughout their week. That when they come together, it doesn't matter who's leading worship. Their response is natural because they're worshiping God unceasingly. See, we shouldn't be having to be kick-started on a Sunday by somebody who's trying to get us to worship we should be just saying, oh, this is fantastic. I'm just going in with everybody else. I'm entering his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and his courts with praise. 
It's a natural, it's, a, it's supposed to be a response that comes, not something that we, we have to make happen. It should be, I want to be in the throne room of God. And if we find ourselves in the place when we come on a Sunday and we feel, you know what, I'm not, I don't feel like worshiping, we have to say, is, am I actually through the week worshiping God unceasingly? When you get up in the morning, when you get into your bath, when you go to work, are you always in commune with the Father? Always worshiping Him. And if you say to me, well, Kirk, I find that difficult, I want to say to you, what are you focused on? And what you focused on is what, what, other, what comes out of your mouth, actually. When people are very negative, and I'm, and I'm saying not just you, me too. When I'm negative, when I'm critical, when I'm judgmental, guess what I'm looking at? All the thing that is the darkness. Even if you're judging people in the darkness, if you focused on them, guess what starts to happen? It comes out of your mouth. But the people, I find this with myself, when we as a believer behold the Father and we're full of light, what comes out of us is light. What comes out of us is love. What comes out of us is natural worship. Worship. Religion is what we have when the only time we worship God is when we are together. And I know there is a dynamic when we worship together, which is good, but it should be an expression of the, our walk of worship. It should be that dynamic. That dynamic. I'm just going to end off with a couple of points to help in terms of worship and then I'm going to get our worship team to come and lead us in that wonderful song, Behold the Father. It's love. In this, there are a couple of things that requires a focus on a couple of things, the worship of God. A couple of things. The first one is God's holiness. The culmination of this passage about the light is that nothing of impurity being before Him. Father calls us to be holy as he is holy. We cannot worship God without the desire to be holy. We can't. And people are trying. But what happens is we start to sing songs about God when holiness is not important to us. That's why it's so important to say, holy, holy, holy are you Lord. When you see the holiness of God, and behold Him, you will become holy. So holiness, we, cannot, we have to be holy in order to be worshippers of God. You will never get somebody that is, un, that is not holy worshipping the Lord. They'll say, I love the Lord. They'll speak about the Lord. But you can see, they can't worship Him. They can't worship Him. Worship is a, that worship where you fall down before God, that you want to give Him praise and adoration. You can't get that without being holy. But when we say, when you concentrate, you say, holy, holy are you God, we realize I'm, I'm to be holy too. And we are holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. But we only are holy by the blood of Jesus Christ when we want to be holy. When we want to be pure, if you don't want to be pure and you don't want to be holy, you can't concentrate on holiness. But if you do, so it's very important. That's what, the first thing that's important. This, the second, there's two things, and I'm going to break the second one down, and then we'll close with some worship. God's worthiness. Worthy are you, Lord. Now, worthiness is a reason for worship. And, and, and there needs to be within us a reason to worship. God has created us as sentient beings. In other words, we don't do things by instinct. We do things because we make a decision, a choice. And because of that, the whole aspect of worthiness has to be in our mind why God is worthy. Why is God worthy? And there are 
two things that are spoken about here as to why he is worthy. And the first one is he created all things. And his creation inspires us to worship. And that is its intention. You see, a lot of people look, I mean, I, 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 to me, I love the forests. I love the sea. I love all the nature that God has given us. But I want to tell you, it's a shallow thing if it doesn't fulfill its intention of drawing us into worship. I've been to all those places. I've, every place that I've wanted to be when I was little that actually gave, gave me that thought of experience. I thought, I've been there. And when I'm there so that I can consume that which is there, I find it empty. I find it empty. I find myself feeling like, my, this isn't as good as I thought it was going to be. This is a big disappointment. But then you can go into the forest and you can see what God's created and it can be just simple. It can be right here. You're walking through the forest. And you see, look at the birds and look at what God has created. When people drift from seeing God as a creator, they drift from worship. They drift from worship. So creation is very important. And the more scientific you get, the more amazing it is to see this complexity that God has created that is in the detail of, of the minutest thing and in the most distant star. So worthiness because of what he's created. And then lastly, worthy because everything exists by and for his will, which Jan brought that prophecy earlier on. Everything exists by and for His will. When we live outside of this understanding, we will not worship God. If we believe that we live and exist by our own hand and for our own purpose, we will not worship God. You will not be drawn into worship then. You think, well, you, I'm achieving this life by my hand and that I exist for my will? Guess what happens? So I can't worship God. I know why you can't worship God is because you think you exist for your will. But you know when you, you, you exist for His will, I mean there's no joy greater when we're existing for His will and when we trust in Him for His will. As that scripture says, as Jan says, you rest in the fact that He will take you. You don't have to worry. Oh, but I haven't got this. You don't have to worry. Well, I have done this. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, whatever. it doesn't matter. You can be filled with everything that you need because you're created for God and for His purpose and it depends on Him, not on you. Isn't that amazing? Shouldn't that take the pressure off you? Let's our worship team come down. Let's worship this wonderful King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can we rise up on our feet? Just going to worship God. Hallelujah. Oh, blessed be God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. When people drift from seeing God as a creator, they, they cease to worship. I don't know if you've ever tried this. Just taking a walk in the woods and just beginning to admire the things God created. Suddenly, something starts to happen inside of you. You just start saying, praise the Lord. You can't see, you can't see God as a creator and not worship. Look at your children. See how beautiful they are. Haven't you looked at them and said, oh, just want to worship God. Everything around us has been designed so that we can worship God. If that person by your side will stop you from worshiping, shut your eyes. Just focus on Jesus. See God seated on his throne. And before him all the elders the angels 
and every one of them casting their crowns they have crowns but they take up the, that weighty crown and they cast it before the Lord and they say to him you are worthy to receive glory to receive honor to receive power to receive majesty adoration and blessings and they just bow before him in worship the entire heaven they bow before him even the sun the moon they bow before him the created they know that he is God everything walks around him in worship Lord we bless you this morning we worship you Lord we are here to worship you anybody here struggling with dryness dryness well, let me explain what dryness is just an inability to sense the presence of God you feel like God every time you get into to, to, into his presence it's like he's not there you can't sense him it, 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 there's just that dryness in your spirit you pick up the word of God it doesn't feel like you can get anything from the word of God you read it, it feels like you're reading a dry book. There's no inspiration, no move of the spirit whatsoever. As we were worshipping, I just had a sense that God is going to water you. There's going to be watering. There's going to be a freshness that will come into your spirit. So I, I just really want you to receive it. That every dryness, that dryness that has been there for months you've struggled with you just find the things of God no longer enjoyable today if you will see him as the creator if you will see him as God again if you will if you will reach out to him if you will hunger and thirst after him his word says he will fill you I want you to lift up your hand and say Lord fill me Lord fill me with the fresh dew from heaven just a freshness not not the old oil i want a fresh fresh anointing and i want you to reach out the spirit of god is here to do us good just reach out you might not feel anything physically but there's a feeling happening right now there's a feeling happening right now thank you dear holy spirit as your hand comes upon this congregation everybody reach out for fresh oil fresh oil fresh oil quicken our quiet times again oh lord quicken our prayer time oh god quicken our bible study time quicken the presence of god around us lord that's it it's coming upon you right now receive it in the name of jesus receive it freshness in the name of jesus freshness in the name of jesus Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, dear Lord, for fresh anointing. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, dear Lord. The Spirit of God is working upon people. I'm not just going to rush. I know we want to leave, but just... just in a minute, just be quiet and just let the Spirit of God. Music, you can keep playing, but just be, let the Spirit of God speak to you. Let the Spirit of God come upon you. like to pray for something that I'd like us all to agree with in the spirit Lord we pray for our own place 
where we are not constrained by time. That Lord God, we will be in a place where when we meet together, we'll be able to just continue when you're doing work among us, Lord God. We just pray for that in the name of Jesus. And we know, Lord God, that in our own selves, this is an impossible thing. But Lord God, you are the God of the impossible. That you will and act according to your will. And we, we believe, Lord, that you've placed this in our heart. And this is not our own imagination. We, we see the need so that we can actually be in your place. Unrestricted by time. Oh Lord Jesus, we know that a, a facility, Lord God, is, 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 not the, is not the end, but it is, a, it is a space like a home where, Lord, we can just rest. And I, I just know that, Lord God, that, that, that a place can be very important, not because of the place in itself, but because of the fact that your presence, Lord God, we are able to rest there without the constraints of time. I pray for that in Jesus' name. We also thank you, God, for the revival that is coming. We will not, we will not doubt. We believe you have spoken and we believe that you will, not maybe, will touch the city, Lord God, and this nation. That this fire will burn. That the presence of your spirit will be strong again. In your churches, Lord God, but in the areas that your churches are at. We thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. God bless you all. Uh, let's have coffee, fellowship with one another. Blessings and a great week to everybody.